Good morning, good morning. If you're a student, you are dismissed. And so for many. those of us that aren't, although I hope we're all students, at some that's, level. That's kind of right? why we're here, yeah. right? A yeah. little bit. Yeah. Um, welcome. Welcome to Christ Community Church. I greet you in the name of my Savior, the one who is holy and the one that is worthy. That, that was a good song. That's a great song. Dang. Um, oh, forever get it. So Tommy won't be mad at me. Um, next Sunday night, a week from tonight, we're going to gather at Jerry and Kim's house at 5 o'clock from 5 to 6.30 and uh, do our small group uh, deal. Extravaganza. Extravaganza. Yeah, I'm not sure what the right phrase is, but we're going to gather together and uh, then we'll break up into smaller groups and discuss. Um, actually, I think we're discussing the Beatitudes. And so, um, you know, that's the way the New Testament church uh, operated. They got together and some of the folks in the group hopefully would have known some of the Old Testament scriptures and maybe somebody had a copy of a letter that Paul or Peter or John had written uh, to other churches and they had copied them, probably part of it, and they would discuss it. There was no, initially there was no one that had our role, uh, so to speak, that developed over time, but they would just discuss what they had been thinking about, what God had been revealing to them and teaching them, what God had been doing in their lives. And uh, so we're going we're gonna to gather together next Sunday night, 5 o'clock, Kim and Jerry's, and um, try to practice that. So I hope you can come and, and join us. I think it'll be, it'll be good. Um, last Saturday, yeah, last Saturday, I performed the funeral for Randy Timms, a precious member of our church family. And, um, you know, it was a, a very meaningful thing for me to have called him my friend and more importantly he called me his friend and that was a blessing and he loved the Lord and he loved this church and uh, he loved me um, and he's one of those people that I perform lots of funerals and I don't know where you know I don't know most of these people intimately I hope they are with the Lord um, but I know Randy's with the Lord his life displayed a real living relationship with the Lord not just that he followed certain rules or did certain activities but his life displayed that he had a real love for the Lord a relationship with the Lord. He was on a journey with the Lord. He would talk to you about it. Talk to me about it all the time. And I, I was so thankful for him and I'm very jealous of him that he's, uh, I'm older than he is so I should have beat him there and I didn't. So that was sort of a crummy deal. But anyway, um, one I'm, of the things... I'm happy you're here. Mm, well, I'd rather be with him. No offense, I would. Not I'm, if I can't be there, I'd like to be with you. Okay. Um, 
One of the things I said last Saturday, sort of in passing, uh, was that, you know, funerals are an unusual deal. I don't really like funerals. And it's not because of the, the sadness or the loss that obviously come with funerals. That, that's not why I don't like them. I don't like them because often, I'll be kind, often, we feel the need to make the person that has died seem bigger and better than they really are. Um, yeah, we, we just we feel the need to maximize this person's strengths and successes almost to the exclusion of their weaknesses and their failures. And I'm not trying to start a movement <laughs> or change society. That's not my that's not what I'm talking about. But it does create messages and images and ideas, I think, that are flawed uh, for those of us that are left behind. Um, yeah. That, that somehow there are people out there, what I call heroes, people that live lives that are above the fray. They walk through a muddy field and their shoes aren't muddy. They go through downtimes of the economy, money's not a problem. They stay married a long time, they never have marital problems. They raise a bunch of kids, they all turn out great. They live a long life and they're never sick. And, um, you know, one of the things that my wife has taught me, I've been married to an English teacher, literature teacher, for 40 years. And uh, one of the things that I've picked up from her is that one of the differences between books and great literature, great being that which inspires and endures, that which 500 years later people are still reading. That's what I say is great. The difference in, you know, some, something and, and something great. 500 years later they're still reading it. Um, one of the differences between liter or books and great literature is that the authors of great literature present heroes that have strengths, but they also have weaknesses. They do great things, but they screw up royally. They, they experience great uh, success, but they also experience failure and loss. And because of that, there's something that wells up in us and we go, 
That's me. That's like me. I'm like that. Not, you know, somebody that, is, that, that lives their life above the fray. That everything they touch turns to gold. Um, these authors have the ability to present characters, heroes, that are a mixture. A mixture of noble behavior and ignoble. They're balanced. They're balanced. And I, I just wanted to sort of remind us today, reading through the book of Genesis, I just was reminded again afresh of how important it is, how important it was to the, the Bible writers, and how important it is for us to be reminded that there are no superheroes in real life. Now, I, you know, I've got to remind myself of that when I think of President Reagan and John Wayne. But even them, I guess. No, I'm joking. I'm sure those closest to both of them would have said with great zeal, uh, even President Reagan and John Wayne were not superheroes. Um, when I talk about literature that does a good job of Presenting that balance. Yeah. What comes to your well, mind? Well, just, you know, knowing that he was going to talk about heroes in a minute, biblical heroes or whatever that really means, a hero. Um, you know, there's, like he said, there's a couple kinds of different types of heroes in literature. You got your Superman who really, really is never going to fall too hard. So he's, he's, he's fake. And then, uh, <laughs> and then you've got tragic heroes. And then this, this wonderful... Uh, and unique and, and rare, really, but balanced heroes in the middle. Um, and I got to thinking about the tragic heroes more than anything else because you think of, I don't know, Oedipus, Antigone. Do you remember this? Macbeth, no. Hamlet, no. Oh. These old heroes that <laughs> men and women who um, could make a good decision, but at just the right time or just the wrong time, for the most part, all the, all the tragic heroes have the same tragic flaw. And that is they just their own hubris, their own uh, pride, their own lack of humility got in the way. And they just, they, they made that one little, they got off the path and, mm. and didn't turn back. Mm. Like the real hero Dang. who's not tragic Dang. turns back. But, you know, Dang. Macbeth comes to mind. There's a new movie out um, where he, he, he kills. He, he's going to become king, but he's in a hurry. And so he decides to take matters in his own hands and kills the king. And it, at, the, at the end, he has the option to turn around. But he says, you know, I, I'm so steeped in blood. It's killed everybody. I'm so steeped in blood that to turn or that turn around, it's just too much work. I can't do it. I don't want to do it. So you just keep plodding forward. So the real hero is the guy who, or woman, who, who turns around. Or when they've messed up. When they've messed up. And embrace Dang. the consequence and, and turns around. Um, in the vernacular, we would say, you know, owns what they did. Or in the New Testament, the word repent right. would be... To an turn. idea to turn around yeah. once you've gone in the wrong direction. Mm. I just read a great book. Okay. Um, 
I'm kind of late to this game, but the uh, Swedish author, A Man Called Ove, or Ove, Ove, I recommend it. It's a beautiful book. Old guy, he's very sad. His wife has died. He's curmudgeon. He's mad at everybody, mad at, even so sad that he's, he's contemplating, you know, not being around much longer. And, uh, but he, he, can, he allows himself to still see beauty. Mm. And slowly starts to turn and he changes away. changes his life. Turn Fairly away from the agony. It yeah, it's, it's a, yeah. Yeah. Wow. God sends us beauty. It's just a matter of we can open the door and let it in. You know, it's it's beauty it's and redemption and, and kindness yeah. and friends and you know just knocking, 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 knocking. But this in this guy's situation, the sadness was so great that he just was shut, shutting it out. Just no thanks, no thanks. Um, but he eventually did. He did. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas Macbeth and Hamlet and Oedipus and Antigone and blah blah, I, you know, the list goes on and on, just finally said no. I'm in it. I'm going to stay in it. it. To turn around is too much work. I don't have that energy. I don't have that. And they just stayed in tragic path. I think of people like Samson or yeah. or Saul or um, Nebuchadnezzar or Ahab. People like that that just wouldn't turn around. Just yeah. wouldn't turn around. Yeah. Just kept. Yeah. Um, You know I'm reading through my Bible, and I hope, and I actually I know that m many of you are doing that with me. And um, we just got through with the Book of Genesis, and I don't know, it just sort of struck me um, how th these heroes in the Book of Genesis. It was very important to the writer of Genesis, Moses that he devote ink to the lives of these biblical heroes but that he make sure he made sure that we saw this mixture of good things in their lives and bad things successes and failures uh, uh, courageously charging down the trail that they knew God had set for them, but at other times uh, wandering off, <laughs> wandering off the, the, the road, uh, tragically. Um, and I was just reading in particular about Reuben. And I was going to read a couple of uh, verses. You don't have to look there unless you just want to in, in Genesis 35. Just almost in passing, Reuben was the first son of Jacob. Jacob was the son of Isaac and the grandson of Abraham. And he had, we know, 12 sons. And the first son, his name was Reuben. And uh, it says in chapter 35, verse, uh, what was it, 20, 22, it says, uh, While Israel, or Jacob, dwelt in that land, in the promised land, Reuben went and lay, or slept, with Bilhah, his father's concubine, one of his father's wives. Um, and Israel heard about it. Jacob heard about it. Um, almost in passing. But in that day, as in this day, that would have been morally 
and spiritually and culturally bad juju. It would have been bad news bears uh, for a, one of your sons to sleep with one of your wives. And yet he did it. Quite probably did it by force. It was a nomadic type thing and the tents were all close together and he probably just walked into her tent one day and took her by force. And that's all it says. And you move right on to other things with the family. Two chapters later in chapter 37, you meet Joseph. He's the eleventh uh, son, eleventh son of, of uh, Jacob. And you know he's the one that had the dreams and goes down to Egypt and uh, uh, has, has uh, more, dreams. more dreams. Anyway, the whole deal. You know the story of, Jacob, of Joseph. But I find it very significant and hit me like a ton of bricks that in chapter 35, Moses almost in passing mentions this horrific, ungodly, uh, heinous act of Reuben. And then he gets two chapters further and all of, uh, all of Jacob's sons are, have gotten Joseph in a situation where they're about to kill him. And they would have killed him. But one son stood up against the other ten and said, No, this is wrong. We should not do this. We're not going to do this. And all of a sudden, this person that had been so flawed and broken and wrong and terrible rises up and does this incredibly noble and good thing. And it's, he said in verse 21, it says, but, but when Reuben heard the other brothers, he delivered Joseph out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Let's shed, let, shed no blood. Cast, let's throw him into a pit here in the wilderness, but let's not lay our hands on him. And then he was thinking that later on he would come back and rescue him, Joseph, out of their hands. That kind of mixture, I don't know that I like the word balance, because <laughs> balance sounds, I don't know, I like the word mixture. That kind of mixture in the life of Reuben, at one moment, just doing what his flesh craved regardless of its impact upon his dad, his family, this poor woman. I don't care. I'm going to do what I want. And then the just a few, uh, I don't know how long, a little while later, he sees wrong and he stands up and he says, no, that is wrong and we're not going to do that. It'll break my dad's heart as well as destroy this this boy. Um, and you see that if you read the lives of the quote heroes in Genesis, you see this mixture in every one of their lives. Noah, what an incredible man of faith and courage and determination and endurance. He will not quit. Spent a hundred years building a boat. He never seen a body of water and had never seen a drop of rain. 
Didn't know what a flood was. Flood's coming. What's a flood? Don't you worry, but it's not going to be good. You build this boat. Took him a hundred years. He does great. Spares humanity. Gets off the boat. First thing he does is plant a garden. And gets drunk. And contributes through his drunkenness, his inability to control his fleshly appetites, just like Reuben. He participates, he contributes to the destruction of one of his, uh, to, to, the, to the descendants of one of his three sons. Dude, you were so great. What happened? You see that with Isaac and his wife, Rebecca. You, you, hey, I got a book, a new book on parenting written by Isaac and Rebecca. You want to read it? No, nobody would want to read a book on parenting by Isaac and Rebecca. They were terrible, terrible parents. And then you, the, their parenting skills clearly were revealed in the lives of Jacob. What a, what a stellar personality he was. And all the, the, the relational destruction in Jacob's relationship with his parents, lying and deceiving his old blind... Who lies and deceives to his old blind dad? Who would do that? Jacob. Who would do that? Who would steal from their brother? Who would do... Jacob. Who would, would uh, create a, a relational dynamic where he's got these four wives that are fighting with each other and trying to compete for his attention? Who would do that? Who would, who would uh, treat uh, uh, his uncle Laban the way he did? Over and over and over again you see in Jacob's life this. And yet, he also did amazing and wonderful things. These were people to the to the person. These were people that demonstrated lives of amazing faith and courage and nobility. And then the next day they're train wrecks. You know anybody like that? Sure you do. You shaved their face this morning. Or your, your legs last night. <laughs> Shave something. Um, yeah. People with strengths and victories and blessings and yet people with flaws and failures and sorrows. People, heroes, whose lives the Bible is trying to declare to us. These are people with lives who don't demonstrate the success and the victory and the absence of failure and pain and loss that comes from a journey with God. If you journey with God, if you believe in God, if you walk with God, if you serve God, you won't have any problems. You'll succeed in everything you do. Everything you touch will turn to gold. All your relationships will flourish. Their lives don't teach us how successful and pain-free life can be for those in relationship with God. Rather, these heroes teach us that God's love and grace and power 
are greater than our brokenness. Greater than our selfishness. Greater than our pain. Greater than our loss. And I was just thinking about, um, you know, what, 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 what can I learn from reading about these people? Reading about Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the, the brothers and Joseph. I, what, can I, what can I learn from these people's lives? These, these clear heroes of the faith. And I don't know that we're going to have time to go over all of them, but I wanted to just share a couple of my thoughts. Um, one of the lessons that I learned from studying these, these people, these heroes afresh this January, was that you and I, no matter what we do, no matter how good you and I live, how much money we give, how long our prayers are, how much of the Bible we read, how many of the rules we follow, you and I will never escape suffering and loss and failure and pain. You're not going to do it. And for those of us that are obsessive-compulsive and perfectionistic, that is probably the most horrifying thing you'll hear today. But you won't. You won't. Remember your buddy, Miss Lacey? What she, what, she, what she used to say, I was I thinking about her. I knew that was my cue and couldn't mm. remember what I was going to say now. What Miss Lacey used to tell you all the time? So I had a, a mentor when I first started teaching at the school where I am, Miss Lacey. And, uh, Credible lady. She was retiring, and I was taking her position. She was retiring because she had Parkinson's and couldn't teach anymore. And I expressed the sadness that I felt for her you know, having to retire and all that. And she said something along the lines of, um, you know, if you live long enough, you get old. Everybody gets a turn. Everybody gets a turn. If you live long enough, everybody gets a turn. Everybody gets a turn. Nobody's immune. Nobody gets a pass. Now, the alternative is you don't live very long. Randy avoided some of the things that most of us won't. <laughs> but that's because he didn't live very long. If we live long enough, you get a turn. Nobody's immune. The pains and the sorrows and the losses and the failures of life, they are an inescapable part of life. Paul said in Acts 14, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And Paul said, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection. Ooh, if you know Christ and you know the power of His resurrection, your life will go well. And you'll be victorious and successful and happy and wealthy and wise all the time. Right? And then Paul says, but a part of that knowing Christ and the power of His resurrection is I also will know the participation of His suffering. You can't know Christ and His power without also knowing His suffering. Even heroes experience great suffering 
and loss and pain. Another thing these heroes taught me was that the goal is not to be perfect. Perfection, if you read the lives of these people, perfection wasn't even on the menu. That wasn't even an option on the test. Perfection was not the goal. The goal was learning how to walk with God and trust Him even when it got hard. God wasn't offering these people tickets to heaven. I said it last week. Nowhere in the scripture, nowhere in the scripture do you see God, Old or New Testament, offering people tickets to heaven. What God was offering, Old Testament and New Testament, same thing He's offering today. I'm offering you a relationship with me. That's what I'm offering you. That's the best deal in town. But that's what I'm offering you. Not a ticket to heaven. That's why Randy never showed me necessarily that he had a ticket to heaven. What he showed me was that he had a relationship with God. If you were with him very much, that came through. He had a relationship with God. And people that have a relationship with God will go to heaven. But what he displayed was not his ticket. But that he had a relationship with God. The goal isn't perfection. The goal is learning to know and walk and trust with God. That's why David says in Psalm 37, Don't fear people's schemes and bad behavior, but trust the Lord who is greater than all. Learn to trust me. Trust in God, Solomon says in Proverbs 3. Don't trust yourself. Recognize His presence in every aspect of your life and He will bless you and guide you. These people in Genesis, these heroes of the faith, they also reminded me that broken people like them, they needed a Savior every day. Not just when they faced death. Not just when they realized that they were sinners and they needed somebody to pay for their sin. They needed a Savior every day. That's why Paul says in Hebrews 10, Through the cross, Christ has perfected for all time those He is now sanctifying. He has perfected us, but He's still perfecting us. He has sanctified us, but He is still sanctifying us. He, he is in this process of purifying us and maturing us and changing us and renewing us and restoring us. We need a Savior every day. Paul says in Philippians 1, He who began a good work in you will continue it and complete it when He returns. What He's doing in my life and in your life will not be complete until He comes back. Another thing these heroes reminded me of 
that I forget just as fast as I'm reminded of it, I forget it. God is able and actively doing. He is using the pain and the loss and the failure in my life and in your life to do good things. He is not limited by our failure. He is not limited by our pain. He's not limited by our loss. He's not hindered when we get off trail, when we get off track, when we stop following Him. He uses even these terrible, terrible tragedies ultimately to do good things in us and to do good things in the lives of others. Don't you find it amazing how shocked you become, and me too, when other people fail us? Aren't you shocked when you hear about the failure inside? Can you believe that happened? Can you believe they did that? Can you believe that happened? Aren't you and I shocked when people do us wrong? Can you believe that person did that to me? These heroes of the faith in Genesis, I think their lives would challenge us to reconsider rather than being shocked at the failure and the pain that we cause and that others cause us, why don't we be shocked at how faithful and powerful God continues to be even in the midst of our failure and our wrong. The point of the story of Genesis is that God is not thwarted in any way by the failures of His people or the failures done to His people. He is not thwarted. He's, we should be shocked and amazed at His power to even overcome and even use that which has been done that's clearly wrong. What Genesis says in Genesis 50, Joseph said, what you meant for evil God has used to accomplish salvation and good in the lives of many people. Do I believe that? Do you believe that? That, you, that God is using, has used, is using, and will continue to use the behavior of your ex the jerk of a boss you work for, the deception and the tragedy of your child's life, the knuckleheads that run this country. God's not, God is not thwarted by any of those things, by the sickness and the disease that is attacking your body. He is using these things, He's in control of these things to ultimately accomplish good in us 
and through us. When we can, this is what I'm working on, when we can set down our expectation for others in our lives to be perfect, you know, never make a mistake, um, when, we can, when we can realize that all the heroes are flawed, especially, you know, our own selves, um, and have some mercy for that, mm. a little bit of mercy for that, or try, or want to anyway, um, that, that living somewhat peacefully mm. through your own hardship and, and, the, and the disappointment of someone else is really possible. You believe that? I, I do. I, I do too. Um, Not easy, no, but I believe it. No, and it's like everything else. It's easier on some days than it is on other yes. days. And, and, yes. and some hurt is bigger than other hurt. But yes, I do. Mm. Because without it, there's no need for peace. There's already the given. Is Everything's easy. And we know that's not true. Um, if it's explainable then it's not miraculous. You know, what, when God's at work, what God's doing is the miraculous. And if your peace is explainable, it's not miraculous. Who it's only it? when there's peace that is unexplainable. Who was it, Peter in jail? And, um, and, and he'd been beaten and everything was terrible and they put him in jail. And he sang, Paul. Oh, I think that's what I said. <laughs> yeah, it was. Peace, uh, same, same percent. And they sang. Everything was, was wrong. Everyone had failed them. Everyone had, um, God had said, go teach. They went and taught, got beaten and thrown in jail. Well, that stinks. But he, in, in the acceptance of that, he sang. And when the doors to the, the prison doors flew were flew open. open, the prisoners, the Bible very intentionally says, they did not run away. Clearly, they wanted what Paul had more than they wanted to escape prison. Now that's a deal. You think about that. That unexplainable peace that God gave Paul and Barnabas was so real impressive to those prisoners that they chose to stay and watch what was going to happen more than run away to experience freedom. Real quick, the last two that I'll give you, I had more, but I will. I think one of the testimonies of the heroes of the faith is that their lives demonstrate that we have got to learn to keep our eyes on our real father, our real spouse, our real brother, our real friend, and not on shadows and illusions dare I say, idols. Most of the people that I talk to in life that have a difficulty with God, 
At the end of the day, if you just listen to people, I'm not saying everybody, but I would say 90% of the people who talk to me and they have difficulties with God. You know what they talk about? Is the difficulties of people. My dad, that neighbor of mine, that televangelist, that priest, that church, that their problem most of the time isn't with God. It's with the people that they associate with God. I'm not excusing the, the devastating power of bad behavior. That's not my point. But I think the challenge of the heroes in Genesis are we, if we're going to be serious followers of Christ and we're going to stay on this journey with Him until we see Him face to face, we've got to learn to obey the second commandment. Don't make idols. That, that, that person in your life, I'm going to follow God because of them. I'm going to love God because of them. I'm going to trust God because of them. And I'm not saying when you're a little tiny baby, that's okay. But what these men and women discovered and declared, at some point we got to get our eyes off of people that are, we consider heroes and get our eyes on the real hero. The one that will never abandon us, never betray us, never let us down, never let us, uh, never, never abandon us. I'll just leave it at that. I tell you what, we've done used up enough time. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. If you don't do anything else to, today, go home and just remind yourself that re, a wise person once told me that relapse is always a part of rehab. We're all in rehab from God's perspective. Relapse is always a part of rehab. We're going to relapse. We're going to mess up. We're going to blow it. And those around us are too. And we need to give ourselves and other people a little grace. Because we're broken. And we will be until we stand before Jesus. Okay? Thank you, friend. Amen. Um... We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And we're going to eat bread and drink wine, those of us that feel so inclined. And we're going to do this for many reasons. Many reasons why I'm going to open this and eat it and drink it. Not the least of which is just the reminder and the declaration that I have a Savior, but I need Him every day. Not just back when I was 17 years old, sitting in my bed, laying in my bedroom uh, one night in the dark, and I called out to Him, and He became my Savior. That was a long time ago, a long time ago. I need Him every day, every day.
you do too. If that's your awareness, if that's your belief, if that's your testimony, that you need a Savior every day, not just one day, but every day, then I invite you to come. And there's wine and bread on both sides. Come and take and eat and give thanks. Give thanks. Not just that God sent His Son to die on the cross so that you and I could go to heaven. But give thanks that His power and faithfulness and compassion and mercy are greater than our brokenness. Every day. Every day. You come if you'd like to.